The aquatic center was really hard up for swimming instructors, which is why they let my friend Greta and I teach lessons, even though we were only 14 and it was not exactly legal. I think officially they had us down as apprentices or something, and then they paid us under the table, and it worked out well for everyone, especially Greta and I. With the exception that all the 16 and over aquatic employees would always ask us to fill in for them or work the shifts no one else wanted because they knew and we knew that we had no life and nothing better to do ever. And this was how we both found ourselves guarding the nearly empty pool on New Year's Eve day, listening to the top songs of the year show on the radio, while one lone obsessive compulsive exercise lady swam back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We had heard three Phil Collins songs, Susudio, One More Night, and Separate Lives, the Axel F. instrumental and the Miami Vice theme instrumental, Oh Sheila by Ready for the World, the whitest black band of all time, and his lap lady went into turn number 5003, Can't Fight This Feeling by Ario Speedwagon came on. Greta and I were sitting on a long aluminum bench doodling on the hourly pool checklist, and she swooned against the wall. Oh, God, she sighed. This song makes me think of Oz. Oz worked in the same club as a racquetball instructor. He was 17 or 18. His name was really Orpheus Iopolis, but everyone called him Oz. Although behind his back, many, many girls referred to him as the Greek god. Oz was the kind of guy Greta and I would never have met if not for mandatory all-employees staff meetings where we'd all sit in one of the basketball courts in a circle on folding metal chairs and listen to the program directors tell us we should all write down on a piece of paper five qualities that described us best and then have a sharing session about how those qualities could best serve the YMCA family. Obviously, these meetings were not a highly anticipated part of the job, but you'd never have known it by the amount of time Greta spent in the girls' locker room beforehand, getting her hair and makeup and outfit exactly right, on the chance that this would be the day that Oz would look over at her and realize he couldn't fight this feeling anymore. He'd forgotten what he started fighting for, that it was time to bring the ship into the shore and throw away the oars forever and make out with Greta behind the cedar sauna in the underground gym and then also take her to prom, even though she wouldn't be in high school for another year and a half. Optimism should have been, if it wasn't, one of Greta's five listed qualities. The reason Greta really did believe that the Greek god might, in fact, fall in love with her was because of HBO. When Greta's family finally got cable, her parents thought for the first few years that Home Box Office edited all movies for nudity and language and everything, the only difference being no commercials. So Greta and her brother would have swarms of people over to watch Blue Lagoon and Caddyshack, quickly changing the channel when one of the parents brought in Jiffy Pop. It was during one of the many bouts of illicit movie watching that Greta saw the 1978 made-for-TV movie Sooner or Later, starring Rex Smith, who looked 40 but was supposed to be 17 or 18, and Denise Miller, who was supposed to be 13. In this movie, Rex and Denise are... Michael Skye, boy rocker with hair of Farrah Fawcett, and Jesse, daughter of Judge Hirsch and Agent 99 from Get Smart. So Jesse and her girlfriend go to the mall and get makeovers, and due to the power of cosmetics, Jesse now looks slightly less criminally under, underage. So Michael sees her from the stage where he's doing his hot rocking mall parking lot concert, and they have a love moment. 
Then later, Jesse goes to get a guitar lesson, and oh my God, Michael's her teacher. But he doesn't recognize her because no makeup. So then she starts wearing makeup again, and Michael still doesn't quite recognize her, but he starts to like her, and they go to a drive-in, and Michael is ready for some 16 on 17 action. But Jesse blurts out, I'm only 13, and that spoils the moment, and he drives her home. And she eats a whole Sara Lee chocolate cake and cries while watching TV, which was a remarkable, insightfully se- insightful scene. But is that the end? Oh, goodness, no. To the doubtless profound horror of parents of barely into puberty daughters everywhere. Gorgeous rock star, cascading perm, 17-year-old Michael decides age isn't important. He loves Jesse. And the fact that she's barely out of sixth grade is A-OK with him. It take my breath away. And this wasn't a cautionary tale by any means. It was a full-on love story. In the sequel to the book, Sooner or Later, called Waiting Games, Jesse is 14 and Michael is 18. And they have sex and have sex and have sex. And Jesse gets pregnant and realizes she must give up both the baby and Michael because really she's just holding back the band. I imagine our parents would have had something to say about that as well. But for Greta and I, Watching a girl our own age, transformed by the enticing allure of Maybelline becoming an irresistible yet still respected siren to lure the Greek god high school senior. Yeah, that could probably happen, we thought. Greta, at least, was taking no chances, which is why after mandatory meetings, when she got into the pool for lessons, after a few good splashes, her face looked like a Mark Rothko painting. So back by the pool, New Year's Eve day. And the lead singer had just done his final crawl up on the floor, crashing through the door. Baby, he couldn't fight this feeling anymore. And Lap Lady was finally leaving. Greta was still in swoon position against the cold tile wall. Oh, my God, she sighed. We're totally going to go see Ario Speedwagon when they come to town. Yeah, okay, I said, but okay, you've seen Ario Speedwagon, right? I mean, Kevin Cronin is no Rick Springfield. Listen, said Greta, sitting up, her eyes bright with inspiration. Listen, okay. Okay, listen, I've decided something. I'm going to kiss Oz tonight. And I will kiss Mr. Rick Springfield, I said. No, Greta said, I'm serious. I know where he's going to be. Cindy from gymnastics heard from blonde Jennifer that she heard Denny Cartakulis talking to Oz and then been planning to go to Vicky Sutton's party, but then Vicky has been dating that guy from Rollins and he's a total hood. So a bunch of hood people are probably going to be there. So instead, they're going to go to the all-night party at the Greek Orthodox Church because I guess it gets totally nuts and all the parents are plowed by like 10.30. Yeah, but we don't go to the Greek Orthodox Church, I pointed out to Greta. We aren't Greek and we don't have any way of getting there. We could pass for Greek, insisted Greta. You could for sure pass for Greek and then I could be like your guest. And we could fake like we go there. We both totally know mythology. We both totally know mythology. They don't worship Zeus and them at a Greek Orthodox Church, Greta, I said. Yeah, sure they do, said Greta, don't they? The truth was, neither of us knew. And the more we talked about it, the more it seemed possible. It doesn't matter, said Greta, finally. It's not like they're going to give us a test. We don't have a ride. Anyway, I repeated. No, I thought of that, said Greta. Doug Tandy. Oh, my God, I said. Greta, no, 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 no. Doug Tandy was one of the senior lifeguards, 18 or 19, or maybe even older. Doug must have at some point also seen sooner or later and taken it very much to heart because he only went after very, very young girls, like 12 and 13. 
None of us or of them ever succumbed to his charms because unlike Rex Smith or Rick Springfield or even Kevin freaking Cronin, Doug Tandy had no discernible charms. He was just very, very creepy. None of us in his preferred demographic were scared of him. We just always knew he was a perv and stayed clear. He was constantly, constantly offering us rides home in his poo green pacer. To actually ask him for a ride as a favor late at night? He'll want to stay with us, Greta, I said, and then you'll be after Oz and that will leave me with Tandy. There's just no way. We'll have him drop us off, said Greta with confidence. We'll tell him it's a private party and that our parents are there. Then Oz will give us a ride home, like Apollo in his winged chariot. Hmm. We argued further and I gave in pretty quickly because the rate at which anything exciting ever happened to me was such that I couldn't really afford to pass up any opportunity, even if it be Doug Tandy contaminated. Our shift ended and we went to our different houses and Greta called me a few hours later with the plan fully worked out. We say, she told me, we're going to spend the night at my grandma's watching movies. They will buy it because they know Mima's hard of hearing and goes to bed early so we can stay up as late as we want. My parents drop us off there at like eight. Mima's out by nine. We have Doug Tandy pick us up there, take us to the church. Doug Tandy leaves. We find Oz. Oz and I make out. The clock sounds midnight and confetti falls from the ceiling and we all eat those walnut cookie things and have that drink that tastes like NyQuil. Here's a quiz, though, I told Greta. Who will be standing around like an ass being bored and alone while you're making out with Oz? The answer is me. Oz will totally have cute friends there, said Greta. You can kiss Denny Cartoculus. Now, I didn't want to kiss Denny Cartoculus particularly, which didn't matter, as the few times I had passed him in the halls at work, his form of greeting was to stare at a point two feet above my head and far beyond and say nothing. Danny Cartoculus must not have had HBO. I'm not going, I decided. You have to, shrieked Greta, following that with a series of shrill implorations culminating with, I'll be your best friend forever. And you know what? She wasn't, and she's not. We're not even Facebook friends, which just proves I was suckered. So it was. 7.45 that evening that Greta's dad pulled up outside and honked twice. Bye, I said to my parents. Behave yourself, said my mom. Oh my God, I thought she knows. Shrewdly, I had dressed in a very non-fancy fashion and packed, along with the next day outfit, a going-to-a-party outfit, as well as makeup to change into the grandmother's house so as not to arouse parental suspicion. A lesson I learned from sooner or later. Greta had taken no such precautions. As soon as I got in her family's car, she was made up like Pat Benatar. Her dad was oblivious to any weirdness. He was sitting happily in the driver's seat and humming along with Susudio, which was on the radio again. Dad, God, said Greta. Interestingly, Phil Collins's current wife was exactly our same age that year. So I guess Phil Collins also had HBO. Everything went exactly according, according to Greta's plan. Mima fussed around us for a while and watched some of Tootsie with us and toddled off to bed after showing us where the extra blankets were. Greta ran into the bathroom and started adding yet more iridescent teal eyeshadow. At 9.30, the Dugmobile pulled up outside. We eased out the front door in goose-stepping slow motion, tiptoed across the snowy front walkway, and both squeezed in the front of Doug's car, the back seat having been taken out, leaving only pointy mellow metal. Hello, ladies, said Doug, fondling his gear shift in a manner most disgusting. 
On the drive over, he tried to convince us to come instead to the party he was going to, a gathering he assured us would be a bitchin' blast. No, cooed Greta, our parents will be expecting us at the church. Do you have a lot of sins to confess? He leered, glancing over sideways. Or do you want some? Doug, God, we said. We reached the Greek Orthodox Church, a great Gothic structure with a park behind it, just a few miles from the edge of town. The parking lot was full of cars, the snow all mashed flat with footprints, and it was glowing brightly from all the windows. Oh, geez, said Greta, staring at the imposing structure. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, yes, you can, Greta, I said, not because I was all that daring, but because I was the one next to Doug Tandy, and the pacer windows were already starting to steam. Tell yourself you can't hold out forever. Say there is no reason for your fear. Hey, Ario, said Doug. I'm totally going to see them when they come to town. Okay, okay, said Greta. Okay, okay, let's go. We said thanks and goodbye to Doug and got out and ran up the stone steps of the church and pulled open one of the huge double wooden doors. There was a long, gleaming, off-white entryway with a staircase leading up to the left and the door to the main service room to the right, candles glowing in gas jars every, glass jars everywhere and people standing around talking, people sitting on the steps, people hugging, people laughing, people holding plates of food or plastic flutes, and every single one of those people was somewhere in between our parents' age and Mima's. Greta and I stood totally still, our jaws slack, the door still open behind us, as about half the adult eyes in the room turned our way. A lady close to us in a sweater that had encountered the business end of a bedazzler weaved over to us, smiling. Well, hello there, she said. Whose little girls are you? What's your name, dear? Think of something Greek, I thought. Think of a Greek name, something Greek. What's a Greek name? Think of a Greek name. Athena, I said unconvincingly. Bedazzler lady raised an eyebrow. We both turned to Greta. Me, me, we gotta go, said Greta, and grabbed me by the hand, and we turned around and hauled ass back to the parking lot where Doug Tandy was just turning the pacer around. Over the snow and through the streets to Mima's house we went. Doug knew the way to take the pacer, so Greta and I cuddled together, screaming with the hysterical laughter that comes from a very recent, very embarrassing experience combining, combined with being very, very cold and only 12 or 13. Wrong church, was the only explanation we could think of to give Doug as to why we'd done an about-face. Which was way more explanation than we were able to give Mima, who was wide awake and hysterical in her living room as we pulled up, or as the officer who showed up, who she had called seconds before we arrived. It took much, much pleading and a huge amount of tears on Greta's part to convince Mima not to call her parents, but miracle of miracles, she did not. And when everything wound down, we found ourselves bolted into Mima's guest room with no TV, just a really old radio that only picked up AM which meant not even a chance of Samario Speedwagon. We lay in the dark, completely exhausted. Hey, Greta, I whispered finally, you know what? It's not even midnight yet. I know, she whispered. If I was at home, I could at least kiss Oz's picture from my brother's yearbook. I bet if we called Doug Tandy, he'd come back and you could kiss him instead, I whispered. Gross, gross, said Greta. Girls, said Mima. Finally, just before midnight, Greta got the brilliant idea to get the dusty phone book out of the end table drawer and kiss Oz's name in the Xiopolis listing. Technically, she was kissing his dad's name, but it was better than nothing. Kind of. And we'd get our first kisses sooner or later. <laughs>